Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome to Expository Preaching Lesson Number 4, brought to you by A.T. Stewart Ministries providing free sermons that are biblical, relevant, and practical. A.T. Stewart Ministries exists to glorify God by feeding those who hunger for the meat of God's Word so that they might grow into Christ-likeness. I am your teacher, Dr. A.T. Stewart. We have already looked at a definition of expository preaching, and we have explained that definition in detail in Lessons 1, Uh, and two, and so I will refer you back to those lessons if you have not already listened to them. Uh, You need to go back and listen listen to lessons one, two, and three that can be found uh, on this same website, Sermon Audio. But I do want to review the definition of expository preaching as we get into lesson number four. Now, the definition of expository preaching is... An expository sermon is a sermon whose structure is determined by a scriptural unit of thought, whose substance is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and the congregation, and whose success is dependent on the Spirit of God, empowering the servant of God to explain, illustrate, and apply the truth of God in such a way that the voice of God is heard, the glory of God is seen, and the will of God is obeyed. As you can see, an expository sermon is a sermon that is steeped in the biblical text. Uh, It is a sermon that the biblical text is everything. It is synonymous with the sermon because the sermon deals with the text. You read the text, you explain the text, and you apply the text. So the whole structure of the sermon, it outlines is determined by the text. What is said in the sermon, the substance of the sermon, is determined by a thorough exegesis of the text and of the congregation. And the success is dependent on the Spirit of God. I gave you an illustration last time of a swimming pool that I think will be helpful to explain the difference between expository sermons and some other types of sermons. Sometimes people use the text, the passage, as a diving board simply to spring off into the sermon, which is the swimming pool. And they will never go back to the text. You will listen to these sermons and you will wonder, what does this have to do with the text? When is he going to go back to the text? And he never does. He tells stories, he gives examples, he may read some other Bible verses, but he never gets back to the text that he read. Well, that's not what expository preaching is. And then sometimes other preachers will treat the text like pool furniture. And they will spend some time in the text, and then they jump into the sermon, which is the pool, and they will swim around in the sermon, and then they might go back and and visit the text for another few moments, and then they jump back into the pool. And again, uh, the sermon has nothing to do with the text, and at least you can't figure out what it has to do with it. Uh, And again, that is not expository preaching. 
in expository preaching, the preacher reads the text, and his sermon is the text, and the text is his sermon. He reads the text, and then he spends the rest of the time swimming around in the pool of the text. He is examining the text, he's explaining the text, he's given the historical context of the text, he's seeking to derive at the authorial meaning of the text, original meaning of the text, he is seeking to extrapolate from the text the biblical principles that are timeless and true for all ages, and then he seeks to apply those truths to the congregation. But the whole time, He's in the text. He is explaining the text. He's illustrating the text. Now, he may bring in verses from other places. He may bring in some stories and illustrations, but they all have to do with the purpose of making the text clear, of unfolding the biblical truth of the text to God's people. Again, so that the glory of God might be seen, the word of God might be heard, and the will of God might be obeyed. Now, I want to spend a moment talking about the advantages of expository preaching over other types of preaching, like topical sermons uh, or even textual sermons and expository sermons. And I'm indebted to John MacArthur in the book Rediscovering Expository Preaching. Uh, he gives these advantages uh, to expository preaching, and I agree with them completely. And let's just look at them briefly to encourage you to be an expositional preacher. But expositional preaching best achieves a biblical intent of preaching, which is delivering God's message. We saw in Lesson 3 that the mandate of every preacher is to preach the Word, not to preach Reader's Digest, not to preach Time Magazine, not to preach some article out of Christianity Today, but to preach the Word of God. And that's what expository preaching is. You take the text, you develop the text, you explain the text, you apply the text. And so again, that is best achieving the biblical intent of preaching, which is to deliver God's message. The second advantage of expositional preaching is it promotes scripturally authoritative preaching. Your authority as a preacher is not in yourself, but it is in the Word of God. And when you are preaching God's Word, that has authority, because God's Word has authority. When you are opening up, when you are expounding on the truth of God's Word, that in itself is authoritative, because God's Word is the only authority for faith and practice for what we believe and how we live. And so when you are expositorily preaching, you are bringing the truth of that text to the congregation, and that gives it authority. Thirdly, expositional preaching magnifies God's Word. I mean, every week you're going to God's Word. You're opening up and expounding on God's Word before the congregation. What does this do? This elevates the Word of God in their sight. They say, our preacher loves God's Word. He teaches it and preaches it every Sunday. Our preacher believes in God's Word. He goes to God's Word to get the message. So it magnifies God's Word. When I go into 
a church to preach and, and very few people have their Bibles with them, that tells me immediately that preacher is not an expository preacher. He doesn't go to God's Word. They see no need to bring their Bibles because he's not in the Word of God. But you go to a church where most everybody has a Bible and you say, Take your Bibles and turn this, this passage, and you can hear the pages turning. You know those people <laughs> bring their Bible because their preacher preaches the Word of God, and they want to see it. They want to be in the Word with him as he preaches. And what it does, it magnifies God's Word. They see how important it is to the preacher. They see how important it is to them as he opens it up every week, week after week, month after month, year after year, and it exalts God's word. Even as the psalm says, God has exalted his word according to his name. Uh, expositional preaching exalts his word. Another advantage is expositional preaching provides a storehouse of preaching material. <laughs> you never have to worry about running out of material to preach on. You've got 66 books there of the Old and New Testament, uh, material that would take you through more than one lifetime of ministry. And so you never have to say, well, you know, there's nothing to preach on. Now, if you just do topical sermons all the time, you might run out of topics, or you might think, well, I've just preached on that six months ago or a year ago, that topic, so what can I preach on now that's, that's relevant and what will speak to the people? Well, when you do expositional preaching, when you preach through a section of a book of the Bible or you preach through a book of the Bible, you don't have to be concerned about not having something to preach. Now, you may not see what's in that passage immediately to preach, but once you get into studying that passage, once you get into uh, finding out the biblical truths of that passage, you will see and find what God would have you to say, and you will have material to preach. So expositional preaching provides a storehouse of preaching materials. Also, expositional preaching develops a pastor as a man of God's Word. Now, you've got to study God's Word if you're going to be preaching God's Word. So that makes you a man of God's Word. My pattern in my 42 years of ministry has been to spend my morning hours in my study. Sometimes it's been at the church in a room way off from the office. I've never been able to study in the church office where my uh, pastor's office was because of all the interruptions, but if I could find a room in a corner somewhere uh, in another part of the church, I could make a study, or even better, to study at home uh, uninterrupted, but take those morning hours for study and prayer. And I needed that if I was going to present a message that was biblically sound, that was exegetically correct, and was contained deep truth from God's Word. And I would encourage you, if you're going to preach expositional sermons, you're going to have to set aside hours a week to study God's Word thoroughly, uh, to study it uh, seriously, prayerfully, uh, devotionally, uh, to be a man who knows the Word of God, and you will become a man of God's Word. God's Word will have its effect on you through the years, as year after year, uh, decade after decade, you are spending time, hours a week, in the Word of God. God's Spirit will take it and use it to make you a man of God's Word. Also, expositional preaching ensures the highest level of biblical knowledge for your flock. 
as you are opening up God's Word every week, week after week, month after month, they get to know God's Word because you're teaching the passages of God's Word. When you are getting into that text and you're explaining it and going back to the historical context and bringing it up into the 21st century, and but you're explaining it. You're giving historical uh, context. You're talking about customs that might relate to the text to help them understand it. You are increasing their knowledge of God's Word. It's one thing that uh, I get more comments about from people uh, when I'm in a church is they will come up and say, Preacher, we have learned the Bible more under you than we ever have before. And it's simply because I open up God's Word. I explain God's Word. I expound on His Word. So expositional preaching ensures the highest level of biblical knowledge for the flock. Also, expositional preaching leads to thinking and living biblically. Because what are you doing each Sunday? You are presenting biblical truth, and you are applying that biblical truth. As you are preaching, the people get insight into how you studied the text, because you're talking about key words in the text that you found that particularly spoke to the truth of the text. They get a sense of how you took the text and developed an outline from it, how you brought forth the truth of the text, and then how you applied that truth. Well, what that is doing week after week is they are seeing how you think biblically, how you go to a passage and bring out biblical truth and biblical principles, and then how you apply and live that truth. Well, that helps them to begin to develop for themselves the ability to look at God's Word and to think biblically as they look at it and find the timeless principles and how they can apply it to their lives. And so it's a training process as they see insights into your method of study and preparation as you're explaining the passage to them. Also, expositional preaching encourages both depth and comprehensiveness. Again, as you preach through a book of the Bible, you're covering every theological theme that's in that, in that section. You're going in depth because you've studied that. It's not a surface preaching, but you're getting into the meat of the passage, and there is a comprehensiveness to it as you go through a book or a section of a book. Uh, there is a sense that we have covered uh, what's in this passage. Also, expositional preaching forces the treatment of hard-to-interpret text. It's easy for us as preachers to stay away from the hard-to-interpret text because we don't quite understand them and we don't want to take the time to have to really get into that text and try to figure out what it's saying. Well, when you're preaching expositional preaching, when you are going through a text or a passage uh, or a book, then Hey, you've got to deal with what comes up next, even if it's hard. You may just have to admit to the people, you know, there are several different ways of looking at this, and I'm not really sure which one is the correct way uh, if you're not sure. Uh, but you've got to deal with it, and uh, it helps your people again see uh, what you confront as you're studying God's Word seriously. Also, expositional preaching allows for handling broad theological themes. Again, you will handle the, handle the themes that are in the text. If the text is talking about election, you'll deal with unconditional election. If the text is talking about hell, 
then you will deal with theological truths about hell or about heaven. If the passage has to do with, with finances, then you will deal with the biblical truth there about finances. So areas you might shy away from just naturally because you're not comfortable with those theological themes, when you preach through a book of the Bible, uh, expositorily, then you have to deal with it. You don't have a choice. It's there. You deal with it. Also, expositional preaching keeps preachers away from ruts and hobby horses. We all have the certain themes we like to preach on, uh, particularly maybe end times. And if we're not careful, we're always preaching on those and excluding other truths and that need to be touched on. But when you're preaching through a book or a section of a book, well, you're going to preach what's there. So you're not going to be able to run to your hobby horse. Uh, and you won't get in a rut preaching on the same thing every week because you are developing the themes and theological truths that are in that text. Also, expositional preaching prevents the insertion of human ideas. As you're dealing with the text, you're not preaching your opinion. You're preaching what the truth of the text is. Uh, again, if you're preaching maybe topical sermons, it's a, you know, the danger is you might just insert your own opinion and human ideas into that message, trying to make it fit uh, an outline that maybe you have forced on the subject, or uh, you've gone and found some Bible verses to deal with that topic, and you're trying to fit those in to make it uh, a three-point sermon. Uh, and the danger is you can insert your own human ideas into the uh, message. Whereas with expositional preaching, there's less tendency for you to insert your human ideas because you are sticking with the text and you're seeking to let the text determine the structure and the substance of the sermon. And then lastly, expositional preaching guards against misinterpretation of biblical text. Why? Because, again, you are studying the whole passage. You're going through a section of a book or a book, and you know the context, the immediate context of that passage. You know the broader context within the book itself, and you know the context within the New Testament, if it's a New Testament book, or the Old Testament, if it's an Old Testament book. And so because you are interpreting the text within a very... Uh, thorough context, this guards against misinterpretation. You've not just dropped down in a passage trying to figure out what those verses are saying, uh, unconnected to the context, but you are preaching through a book, and so you are very familiar with the context, and this helps guard against misinterpretation. So here are some of the advantage, advantages of expository preaching that I would recommend to you uh, as you're considering expository preaching, and I trust that uh, you are committed to do so, and you probably would not be listening to these lessons if you were not. Now, we're going to continue as we look at the basics of sermon development. We've looked at the definition of expository preaching. We have looked at the advantages of expository preaching. But now I need to give you some very practical steps. How do you go about developing an expository sermon? This concludes Lesson 4 of Expository Preaching. 
you can stop the video now and pick up the next lesson uh, whenever you have an opportunity. Welcome to Lesson 5 of Expository Preaching, brought to you by A.T. Stewart Ministries, providing free sermons that are biblical, relevant, and practical. A.T. Stewart Ministries exists for the purpose of bringing glory to God by feeding those who hunger for the meat of God's Word that they might grow into Christ's likeness. I'm your teacher, Dr. A.T. Stewart. And we're now in Lesson 5 of Expository Preaching. We begin at this point to talk about steps to putting together an expository sermon. How do you develop an expository sermon? And I will give you very practical steps how I go about putting together, developing an expository sermon. Uh, and the first step is prayer. You cannot go any further than prayer until you have prayed. Prayer is the first, most crucial step of developing an expository sermon because Prayer brings in the power of the Holy Spirit into your situation. We are dependent upon God's Spirit for the success of the message. No matter how hard we might study or how much effort we might put into developing a sermon, it is only a group of words until the Holy Spirit anoints it, until the Holy Spirit moves in and gives power to those words. Nothing we can say can transform a human life. It's only as the Spirit of God takes the words of the man of God and uses them can they transform a human life because a man of God is preaching the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that is alive and active and able to transform human lives through the Spirit. And so we must pray as we start to development process, as we are working on the sermon, and as we prepare to preach the sermon. We must bathe every aspect of your sermon preparation and delivery in, in prayer. We must seek the Holy Spirit. He is the key. As I have said in earlier lessons, Prepare the sermon like it all depends on you. Preach it knowing it all depends on the Holy Spirit. We have our responsibility to work at rightly dividing the Word of God, putting together a message that is coherent, that is understandable, that's biblical. But we realize that we depend on the Holy Spirit throughout the whole process. It does not negate human responsibility. Uh, but we trust in the Spirit. And there's a verse in First Thessalonians chapter 1 that I use to guide my praying. And that verse, Paul's writing, says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So we have three aspects of the preaching of the word that Paul talks about as he came and preached to the church at Thessalonica. Now, he came and preached the word. So the gospel did come in word, but not in word only. 
If it had only been in word only, it would not have accomplished the will of God. But Paul says, it not only came in word, and we have to prepare that we might deliver the word, but also in power, first of all. Secondly, and in the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, the word came with full conviction. So there are three aspects. The word came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. And it came with full conviction. Now let's take each of these three aspects that Paul talks about and incorporate a prayer, put together a prayer that incorporates all of these elements. First he says it came in power. Now when you think about the power of God, what do you think about? There are three events in Scripture that are used over and over again to talk about the power of God. When they want to talk about the power of God, they refer to one of these three events. The first one is the power of creation. An example of a prayer over in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, says, You alone are the Lord. You've made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Here the writer is giving a prayer, and they exalt God as the God of creation. They talk about his power when they talk about the power of creation. And so when we are praying that God would send forth his word in power, first of all, I'm asking him to send it forth in the same power that was the power of creation. Now what kind of power was the power of creation? First, it brought something out of nothing. Ex nihilo, it's called. God spoke and there it was. I'm asking God to bring something out of my nothingness. Bring something out of my sermon. And my sermon may be nothing. And apart from God, it is nothing. But that is where God moves in. He loves to bring something out of nothing. To bring life out of death. And so I say, Lord, take this sermon of mine as nothing as it is. And you bring something out of it. Let them hear a better sermon than I preached. What do I mean by that? Well, anybody who's preached for any length of time will relate to this story. Someone will come up to me after a sermon and say something like, Preacher, I really appreciate that word you said on forgiveness. God really spoke to me. And I'll think back over the sermon, and I didn't say anything about forgiveness. Uh, God spoke to them apart from me in that situation. So God is not dependent on us to accomplish His will. He can bring something out of nothing. Also, creation brought light into darkness. It expelled the darkness. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it expelled the darkness. Darkness in Scripture often represents sin. Light represents truth, righteousness. And there are people who will be listening to you on, as you proclaim the word who are in darkness. There's darkness in their soul. Uh, and they need the light of God to shine into that darkness and to dispel that darkness, to send it away. And so I ask God, as he sends forth his word and the power of creation, 
that he would send the light of his word and dispel the darkness in people's minds, the misunderstandings that they might have, the darkness in their spirit that might be there, that God would shine his light into their lives and dispel that darkness. A third thing God did in creation was he sent forth life. He spoke life into existence. And so I pray that as he sends forth his word in power, the power of creation, that he would send forth the life of the Lord Jesus. Ministry is in its very essence the ministering of the life of Jesus. It is a life of Jesus that transforms a human life. It's a life of Jesus that miraculously works to change people. And we desire that the life of Jesus go forth through the Word of God. As we're proclaiming God's Word, our desire is that God will minister the life of Jesus, grace, into the lives of people, and that's when lives will be transformed. And so when we pray, first of all, He would send forth His Word in the power of creation. Then there's a second event the Bible refers to when it speaks of the power of God, and that is the power of the Exodus. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 34, we read, Or has a God tried to go take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs, and wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors? as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And so we're talking about the power of the Exodus. It was a redeeming power. God redeemed them from their bondage to Pharaoh. And so when we ask God to send forth his word in the power of the Exodus, we're talking about the redeeming power of the Exodus. Just as God sent forth his power to free them from their bondage to Pharaoh, I believe God desires to set people free from their bondages and their addictions. People who are listening to the message are bound. Some of them are bound in sin. Some of them have, have sinful habits and addictions that are binding them. And we need for the power of God to go forth through the Word of God and set them free from these bondages, from these addictions, to set them free from their slavery to sin and Satan and the flesh. And so I say, Lord, please send forth your word, not only in the power of creation, but in the redeeming power of the Exodus. Use your word through your spirit to set people free from their bondages, from their addictions, from their slavery to sin and Satan and the flesh. So, Send forth your word in power, the power of creation, the power of the exodus. And then there's a third event that the Bible uses to talk about the power of God, and that is the power of the resurrection, the sin-defeating, Satan-crushing power of the resurrection. It was in the resurrection that sin was defeated, Satan was crushed, it is the resurrection that brings life where there is death. And so when you pray, Lord, send forth your word in the power of creation. You are praying, excuse me, in the power of the resurrection, you are praying that he would send forth his word and defeat 
the work of sin in people's lives. He would crush the power of Satan in people's lives. That he would set them free. Paul says that I might know him and the power of the resurrection. It is a same power that brought Jesus alive from the dead is a power that transforms human lives. It is a power that defeated Satan then and can defeat Satan in people's lives now. It was a power that that broke uh, the bondage to sin in people's lives. It is the same power that can break it today. And so I pray, Lord, send forth your word in all the power of the resurrection. So the first part of the prayer is that God would send forth his word in power. Now the second part has to do with in the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would attend to the word as it goes out in his full ministry. And so as you think about the word going out in the Spirit, that we're asking God to commission the Holy Spirit, that he would attend to the word of the sermon. As the words go out, the Holy Spirit would attend to those words, and he would use those words to accomplish what his work given to him by the Father is to accomplish. And so I look at what has God commissioned the Holy Spirit to do, and then I ask that he would do that when the sermon is preached. First thing that comes to mind is draw people to Jesus. John 6:44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, it is the Holy Spirit is the one the Father uses to draw people. And so you ask that he would draw people unto Jesus. I ask the Holy Spirit that he would rebuke the devourer from snatching away the seed of the word. Remember then the parable Jesus told about the soils and the seed and how one of the soils was hard and the seed laid on top of the soil and the birds came and snatched them away and he said that was Satan coming and snatching away the seed of the word. So I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to rebuke the devourer from snatching away the seed of the word, but that word would take root and bear fruit, some sixtyfold, some a hundredfold in the lives of the people. Also ask the Holy Spirit to prepare people's hearts for the seed of the word. You and I cannot prepare the human heart. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do that. And so I ask that he would prepare the hearts of the people who are there, that their hearts would be honest, it would be receptive to the seed of the word, that they uh, would he would break up the fallow ground of their hearts and that they would receive the word and it would take root and bear fruit. Also that he would comfort and he would reprove and he would exhort encourage and rebuke. He'd comfort those that need to be comforted. He would reprove those who need to be reproved and exhort and encourage and rebuke uh, those that need to be rebuked by the word. Uh, the Holy Spirit does that and so uh, I ask that he would fulfill that work. Also, uh, we ask that he would convict of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come as the scripture says. Uh, that he would bring forth that conviction. It's the Holy Spirit that has to convict uh, of sin. And he would convict of the righteousness of Christ and of the judgment to come that souls might be brought into the kingdom of God. 
also that the Holy Spirit would bring about the perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so God uses the word of his word to bring about the perseverance of the saints uh, and encouragement. Uh, I do believe that God will keep faith for all those that he has truly saved, all those who he has chosen and brought into his kingdom. Uh, he will keep them faithful to the end. Uh, there's the perseverance of the saints, but part of the means of that perseverance is the being under the preaching of God's word. Uh, reading, studying, hearing God's word adds to and one of the means that God uses to bring about the perseverance of the saints. And also there's an encouragement that comes from the scriptures. People get discouraged. Uh, and so I pray the Holy Spirit would use the word as it's preached to bring about that perseverance and to bring about that encouragement. Also, that he would lead and guide and teach God's truth. We all know the Holy Spirit uh, does that. Jesus says that's part of his ministry. So I pray that he would take the, the word, the sermon, and he would lead and guide and teach the truth of God through it. That he would make hearts and minds attentive to the word preached. Now, people come into Sunday morning and their minds are going in a hundred different directions. And we need the Holy Spirit to focus, to bring their minds and hearts to be attentive to the word preached. And not only that, but he would enable and excite God's people to obey the word preached. We do not have it within ourselves to obey uh, the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to enable and excite us uh, to obey the word. And so I pray that as the word goes out, the Holy Spirit will stir people's hearts and he will move and motivate them. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that both to will and to work is the work of the Spirit to enable and incite God's people to obey the word as it is preached. Also, I ask the Spirit would use the imperishable seed of the Word to bring about the new birth. 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. God takes the imperishable seed of the Word and uses that through His Spirit to bring about the new birth. And so I ask that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and bring about the new birth, cause that imperishable seed to bring about the new birth and bring souls into His kingdom. Also, we ask that the Holy Spirit would use the Word of God to justify. As the Holy Spirit brings about the new birth, He also applies uh, the justification, uh, the God's gift of justification to uh, the believer. And so that He would use the Word to justify as he brings them into salvation. Not only that, but he would use the word to sanctify, to bring about holiness in their lives. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And so as the word of God is preached week after week, month after month, year after year, and the Holy Spirit attends to that word, it will bring about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, holiness in the lives of God's people. Uh, because the Holy Spirit will sanctify 
uh, a word that uh, you can make up that means the same thing as holify. Uh, holify. He will make people holy. He will bring about spiritual maturity uh, as the word of God is preached. Also, that he would use the word of God to glorify the Father and the Son. Again, uh, the Father has commissioned the Holy Spirit to bring glory to himself and to the Son. In John 16:14, Jesus says, He will glorify me, but he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And so my prayer is, Father, commission the Spirit that you and the Son will be glorified through the preaching of the Word tomorrow. And so we pray, and that's the first step in the development of an expository sermon. And we pray that, first of all, it would go out not in word only, but in power. And we talked about that, the power of creation, the redeeming power of the exodus, the sin-defeating, Satan-crushing power of the resurrection. It would also go out in the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about what that means for the Holy Spirit to attend to the Word and, and His many uh, ministries to attend to the Word as it goes out. And thirdly, the Word would go out in full conviction. Now what does Paul mean when he says the Word came not in Word only, the Gospel came not in Word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit and in full conviction? I think he means that they believed that they had heard from God and not man. They had a full conviction that God had spoken to them through Paul. And that's our desire, that people would hear the voice of God, not our voice. If people leave and say, oh, preacher, you did a good job, you have not succeeded. But when they go away and they say, preacher, I heard from God today. God spoke to me today. That's what we desire. We want them to hear from God. We want them to have the conviction that, man, God has dealt with me today. God has spoken to me through his servant and through his word. So the first step is to pray. Not only do we pray, but we also have promises that we want to claim. The promise that I have claimed thousands of times is Isaiah 55:11. God says, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Now God has promised that his word, and that's why we preach the word of God, and he has promised that his word will not go out and return empty-handed, but it will accomplish what he desires. And it will succeed in the matter for which he sent it. I claim this promise every time I preach. That God will take his word and he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Another verse that I claim is from Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is alive and it's active and it's able to penetrate into the vision of soul and spirit. And I pray God would take his word and he would use it to judge the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. Another promise that I claim is in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 
which says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now this says that God's word, when we mix it with faith, it actually performs its work in the believer, in the Christian. So when you the word is preached, my prayer is that that word would be joined with faith from those who hear and that it will actually perform its work. It is alive and active and the word will actually bring about that truth. If the, you're preaching on a passage, it talks about thou shall not steal, uh, and they mix that word with faith, then it will actually produce in them a desire not to steal uh, and a desire to do what is right. I believe that God's word is that powerful. Uh, when it's mixed with the faith of the believer, Paul says it will perform its work, whatever that work might be. And I claim that promise uh, as I preach God's word. Also, not only are there promises to claim, but you're involved in a spiritual warfare when you preach God's Word. You're on the front lines. And I think there needs to be warfare prayer. And I have a prayer that I pray uh, before I preach uh, and ask God to uh, protect from the attacks of the enemy and ask Jesus to uh, be victorious through the Word. And I want to share with you that prayer. And it's, uh, you will notice it, it is steeped in Scripture. But I ask Jesus to rebuke all the rulers and the powers and the world forces of this darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places that would seek to attack you or your family or the church family uh, and that he would send them through waterless places to the abyss and he would hold them there by the authority of his hand slain by the sword of the word and rendered powerless through the blood of the Lamb. And then I also ask God to place his mighty warrior angels on every square foot of the property to protect uh, me and the congregation from all the attacks of the enemy, and to claim that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that speaks against us in judgment will be condemned. So I ask God's protection over the word as it goes out, his protection over the congregation, his protection over the, uh, the worship time, uh, that his angels would be there on the property and be there to uh, bring about his protection and that Jesus would rebuke all the forces of the enemy that would seek in any way to hinder the work of his word uh, and his word would accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. This brings us to the conclusion of lesson number five and next time we will go with lesson number six and I trust that you will tune in next month for the next lesson. May God bless you and may you preach the word.